This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, today we've got some exciting news to share with you. And before we do, I'm going to preach a message. Uh, Actually, the truth is, the truth is, I originally had a different message planned for today, and, um, and it was going to be all about the election and about this, this time and the season that we're in, but I just felt like the Lord wanted to change my direction and my focus a little bit in that I think that in a lot of times like the ones we're in, it's really easy to get fixated on what's happening in the world and so fixated that we take our eyes off of Jesus, Right? The, the scriptures say that Jesus is the one that we look to. He's, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's our hope. He's the anchor for our soul. He's the one that went before us. And I just felt like the Lord said, I want to do something a little different today. Is that okay if I do something a little different this morning? So today I'm calling this message, Adventures in Following Jesus. Adventures in following Jesus. I've been walking with Jesus now for most of my life. I'm 38 years old, and I got saved when I was five, okay? My mom, who was not a Christian, who was an atheist, grew up in an agnostic family. God grabbed a hold of her heart at a small little Presbyterian Bible study in San Diego, California, and changed everything for her. She encountered Jesus. She, she invited him to come and be the Savior and the Lord of her life. And God began to radically change her life. My dad at the same time was an alcoholic. He was doing drugs. He was hopped up on cocaine. He was a smoker. And shortly thereafter, she made a decision to follow Jesus. God grabbed a hold of his heart because he saw the radical change that was taking place in her life. Now, at the time, my parents met in the 70s, and in the 70s, that was, a, that was a party time. Everyone experimented with drugs, and they partied, and they drank, and that's sort of what you did, right? I mean, who remembers when Coca-Cola actually had Coke in it? <laughs> Some of you more seasoned ones, right? So there was a time and a day and age in this nation where that was socially acceptable, and God grabbed a hold of my mom's heart and radically changed her life, and then got a hold of my dad's heart and radically changed his life. Both of them were first-generation Christians. Both of them grew up in non-believing homes. My mom's home was an atheistic home, Uh, not not just agnostic, but atheist in the sense that they were anti-God, they were against God. Um, My grandfather's heart was hardened because of what he had experienced in World War II and because of the loss of life and the things that happened to him. And as a result... He made a a decision with his family not to follow Jesus. Well, God had other plans for my mom and for my dad. And shortly thereafter, when I was a wee little lad, five years old, I'll never forget my mom used to pray for me at night. She used to tuck me into bed, you know, and fluff the pillow a little bit, you know, make sure the, the, the covers were right. And I'll never forget it. I felt the presence of God like I've never felt before. And... Honestly, I mean, close to that moment, I don't know if I've ever felt it like that to that degree, but she was praying for me and she said, Jason, I really believe that God wants me to ask you if you're ready to make him the Lord and Savior of your life. And I felt the presence of God fill my room. 
All I can describe it is is great joy and warmth and fire all mixed into one. And I said, yes, I, I want Jesus in my life. Now, when you're five, you don't exactly know what that means, right? But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that I could tell a difference in what God was doing in my heart and in that room that day. And I remember it just like it was yesterday. And in doing so, I never looked back because that reality, the palpable sense of God's presence and his character and his nature and who he began to reveal himself to be in and through my life at from such a young age, left me never the same. And God did the same thing for my brother and for my sisters, and we've seen that with our own kids. Ways in which God encounters us, invades our lives, and presents us with an opportunity to make a choice. And that choice is really what we're going to talk about today. The choice to follow Jesus. And so today I want to talk to you just a little bit about adventures and following Jesus because it's a segue into what we're going to discuss at the end of our time. But I want to lead in with this verse, and the verse is this, John chapter 10, verse 27 in the ESV. It says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. This is Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. Today I want to talk about three aspects, or we could call them realities, of following Jesus. Number one, we as the people of God, as believers, as people who have put their hope and their faith and their trust in Jesus, belong to Jesus. We are his sheep. Did you, did you catch that? He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, we as the people of God, as his sheep, belong to Jesus. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, your life is no longer your own. Your life no longer belongs to you, meaning the decisions that you make from that point forward belong to Jesus. Because... He is our good shepherd. He is our pastor. I say at Courageous Church, Jesus is the senior pastor. All right? He's the one. Pastor, by the way, means shepherd. He's the one who leads us, who guides us, who calls us by his own name. In the scriptures we see where it says that if my people who are called by my name, right? So we have a name given to us by God that belongs to Jesus. We're a sheep. We're All his sheep, the Bible says elsewhere that we like sheep have all gone astray, right? We've tried to do our own thing, but we had a good shepherd who came looking for us, a good shepherd who came searching for us while we were still lost, while we were still angry at God, while we were still hostile toward him, while we were still in darkness. And we sing that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, right? That saved a sinner like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Right? We all at one point were lost. And so Jesus comes into the picture, and he goes looking for his lost sheep. We are once those who were lost, but who are now found. We are his people that he has gathered for himself. I want to give us a little context for this. Ezekiel chapter 34 says this, verse 11 through 13. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep 
and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. Next verse, verse 13. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. Now, this was originally written to the people of Israel. But if you notice the emphasis upon what Jesus goes out to do himself as he becomes the fulfillment of this text. He says, I will bring them out from the peoples. That's plural meaning multiple peoples, and, and gather them from the countries, right? Multiple countries, nations, and I will bring them into their own land. There's a promise of God for our life that when Jesus comes looking for you and me, he's going to gather us to himself, and that's what he's doing, and that's what he's doing here today. He's gathered us to himself. We are his people. We are sheep. We are called by his name. First Peter goes on to echo this in chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Underline that or swipe that or highlight that in your phone. That you, here's the purpose, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. There it is. We were once lost, but now we're found. We were once in darkness, fumbling around, bumping into things. Have you ever done that at night? Looking for the light switch? And you just stub your toe on the foot of your bed? Oh, my God. Or if you have kids, you step on their Legos that they left out? There is nothing worse than stepping on a Lego in the middle of the dark. You're not ready for it, right? You're, you're off balance. Normally, you don't have your like weight all adjusted. And you just crush that thing. And that pain, right, just surges through your foot. And then you say things like, Jiminy Christmas! Of course, that's what you say. <laughs> but that's the idea. That the picture is that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all were at once in darkness, fumbling around, trying to figure it out. Is there a God? I, I don't know. Is there? Isn't there? No, there isn't. You know, like, there, that's darkness. And God delivers us in his grace. Oh, and his mercy. He entered into that darkness. He was the light and the darkness could not overcome it. It came looking for us. As a people, that's the vision God gave us, to arise and shine, right? Though darkness may be thick, and it might get thicker, but though the darkness might be thick and grow thicker, the light is going to shine brighter and brighter because we have a good shepherd who's not afraid of a little darkness. He's not afraid of a little mess. And there's no mess. Hear me on this. There's no sin. There's no mess. There's no mistake in your life that he's intimidated by. Because Jesus already paid it all. He said, you know what? All of your sin, all of your stuff, I'm going to take it on me so that there's no longer any hostility between you and the Father. There's peace. There's redemption. Come on, there's salvation. There's justification because of his blood that was shed. So Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice. So my first point is that we belong to him, first and foremost. We belong to Jesus. goes on to say that in verse 10 here, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. See, we used to not have an identity. We identified with all sorts of things out in the world, didn't we? Sometimes we identify with 
the money we make, the status we have, the job we do, right? We define ourselves by all sorts of things. But the scriptures tell us that once you were not a people, you had no identity, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the recipients of this great, beautiful, wonderful gift. So number one, we belong to Jesus. Number two, we listen to Jesus. We have ears to hear what God is saying to his people, right? Once we are not a people, now we're a people. We listen carefully and attentively for his instructions. Isaiah 30, verse 21 in the ESV says this, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Now, there's a, there's a show that's really popular on, on TV right now called The Mandalorian. And the catchphrase from that show is, this is the way. Okay? And so today, rather than, than hearing the voice of the Mandalorian, I want you to hear the voice of the Lord saying to you, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. Walk in it. So whether you turn to the right or whether you turn to the left, there is a way that God has already created for us to walk in. Did you know that the Bible says in Ephesians, we talked about it in our Ephesians series, that he has prepared good works in advance for you to do. One translation says for you to walk in, right? There is a plan that God has for your life and for my life. And it's a good plan. We believe that. As Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we believe that the plans that God has for our life are good plans, not plans to harm us, not plans to do evil, right? Plans to give us a hope, plans to give us a future. There is a way that God wants us to walk in. We are all called as sheep to hear the word of the Lord, to hear the voice of God, to listen for his instruction. John 8, 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 29 says this, he who has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Did you know that God is always speaking? Through his word, through his written word, he has been speaking to us since the moment it came into existence. And here in Revelation, we get a prophetic picture of what it looks like to hear with spiritual ears what God is saying to the church. I believe we are living in times right now where God wants people to wake up and to hear what he is saying to the church or the churches. And we are one of many churches, but we are all a part of the church. Does that make sense? And I believe that the Lord is speaking. The question is, are we listening? Many of us have a hard time hearing the voice of God because the truth is we're not listening very well. And we've drowned out the voice of God with other noises. It's kind of like turning on the radio to drown out the noise of your kids screaming at you from the back seat. I just took a road trip with the kids. We went to Jackson, Wyoming for two days, and they did really good. I am I'm proud to announce that my kids almost got through an entire trip without yelling at each other or fighting with one another or getting loud, but it didn't quite happen. And there was a moment where I had to turn up the radio the noise to overcome the sound of their voices. And I think in the same way, and and it's meant to be funny, but in the same way, 
we tend to do the same with God if we're not careful. We end up turning up the sound of our lives, right? Busyness, worry, we're figuring out jobs, relationships, politics, right? We got all this noise coming at us and we're just turning it up and God's going, I'm wanting to get your attention. I'm wanting to speak to you. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what I'm saying. God doesn't tend to want to shout at us. He tends to want to talk to us relationally, like you'd talk to your lover. Not, ah! right? But as one does with their friend. How do you talk to your friends? You know, hey, man, how's it going? You doing good today? What's happening, you know? There's, there's, there's interest. There's collective investment. There's, there's a sense of, I want to hear what you have to say, and hopefully you want to hear what I have to say, right? And in the same way, that's what God wants for his church. He wants to speak in a way that we can hear. The question is, are we listening? The reason we listen to Jesus or have ears to hear what he's saying is because he wants to help us avoid things in our lives that are destructive, that are going to bring us down into a pit or a snare, that are going to entrap us or lead us down the wrong path. He says, this is the way, walk in it. He wants to show us what that way is, amen? And so, number one, we belong to Jesus. Number two, we listen to Jesus. And number three, we follow Jesus. It is. But we're called to go where he says to go and to move when he says to move. Did you know that the timing of God is everything? You can be right in what you're called to do, but be wrong in the timing in which you do it. Have you ever had a, uh, a moment with a friend or maybe a colleague or a coworker or even your spouse where you were in the right and you had good things to say, but you said it at the wrong time? <laughs> husbands, come on. There, you, husbands, you know there is a right and a wrong time to say certain things to your wife, right? So let me give you an example. A wrong time to criticize your wife's cooking is right after she's got done making it. Right? Wrong time. I would suggest even further that it's never a good time to criticize your wife's cooking. Learn from my mistake. The good news is that my wife's cooking actually rocks. So I don't have that problem at all. But... You guys know that there is a time and a place for everything. The Bible says there's a time and season for everything under the sun. Ecclesiastes teaches us that, hi guys. And so we're in this place where we have to understand that God wants us to discern his timing in all things. That means that sometimes we have to learn to wait. And come on, how hard is waiting? We want it now, right? Burger King says, have it your way. We want it when we want it, how we want it, where we want it. And think about all the choices that we have today. I mean, after this message is done and we all leave today, you'll have a hundred and whatever choices as to whether you want to go eat at home or go eat out or drive four hours to Las Vegas and eat there or, you know, like we have so many choices as to what it is that we are going to do. And in the same way, we have choices based on how we wait on God. I believe that God's timing is always perfect. Do you guys believe that? Yes. I believe that. I believe that God's timing for our life is always perfect. 
in The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, there's a scene where Gandalf, the wizard, comes in and he tells Frodo that a wizard is never late. He arrives precisely when he means to, okay? And that's kind of like God. God arrives precisely when he means to. He's the God of suddenliness, meaning he doesn't always move quickly, but he often moves suddenly. Did you catch that? God doesn't always move quickly, but he often moves suddenly. It seems like when we're waiting on God, it's going to be forever. And sometimes it feels that way, right? Whether you're waiting on a spouse or whether you're waiting for a promise or whether you're waiting on the promotion, there's times in our lives where it's not fun to wait and it seems like it's going to be forever. And then God moves suddenly. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, what happened? It seemed like forever we were just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then God moves. Boom, he opens up a door. And you're like, whoa, how did that happen? God, where were you all this time? Working behind the scenes, like a good, good father does, right? Preparing moving things into position, removing things. Come on, guys. Sometimes God's no is as important as his yes. We don't like the no, but that no can sometimes save us from a lot of heartache, save us from a lot of heartbreak, a lot of bad decisions, a lot of good decisions made at the wrong time, good things said at the wrong moments. The no of God can be just as valuable. I thank God oftentimes for all of the closed doors. Times where the deal didn't go through. Times when I didn't get the promotion I wanted. Because as it turned out, the thing that God had for me was actually better. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that God actually has things planned for you that are good and better than the things that you could manufacture or make happen with your own life and choices? I believe that because I've seen it happen. I've had to also learn the hard way when I rushed God's timing. And I looked back and I went, oh, Jason, you cotton-headed ninny muggins. How could you do that? It's technically November 1st. I can start using Christmas language. Thank you. Halloween's done. Thank God. All right? I am decorating the house today. Christmas tree and all. We're watching Elf a thousand times. Love that movie. But sometimes I'm a cotton-headed ninny muggins. I, I can admit it. Just ask my wife. She's like, yeah, you kind of are. You know, and there's times when I rush things in my zeal and excitement, right? Even in my faith sometimes. I could be like, we're going to take the hill. And God's like, oh, simmer down, simmer down now, child. We're going to get there. But just not today. Because what you don't see is that there's some things happening over here that I need to deal with and move out of your way. Or things that I'm, I want you to contend with and break through. It happens in both ways, but getting ahead of God and making decisions outside of God's timing, oh my God, can it wreck things and relationships. It can turn what was good into things that were not so great. So we, like sheep, have to learn to not just listen, but follow Jesus. We don't always know where we're going, right? But the calling is to trust and to follow him anyways. Did you catch that? We don't always know where God is leading us. But the calling of God for your life and for mine is to follow and to trust and to do so anyways. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 in the NLT says this. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. 
He didn't show it to him yet. He didn't pull out Google Maps and say, okay, here's where we're going. All right, MapQuest. Okay, Randy McNally Maps. Now I'm really dating myself, okay? He didn't say, here's, here's where we're going, guys. He doesn't give us all of the information that we want when we want it. But he said to Abram, leave, get out, and go to the land. That I'll show you. He didn't show it to him yet. So the call was actually to obey God, to follow, to listen, to trust, before he had any clue of what that was supposed to look like. Can I tell you this from personal experience? There are times in your life where God will call you to follow him before you know where you're going. A lot. Like right now, absolutely. And I remember a moment before Candace and I moved back to Utah when God set before me the choice to follow him here or not. And there were times back in 2016 and 2017, years before we came out, where I was like, God, I don't know where we're going. What, what, what does that even mean? And he's like, go to the land that I will show you. And then we'll work out the rest. And then we'll deal with the details, right? But that's not what we want. We want God to show it to us, and then we'll believe it, and then we'll follow. God, make, make sense. I'll tell you what, we didn't even have any money. We didn't know what we were going to do. And I was like, but God, I need to have a job first. I need to have the income. I need to have this. And God's like, no, nah, those are details that we'll figure out later. <laughs> the funny part about it, the ironic part about it, is that God calls us to follow him, and the truth is we want God to follow us. We're like, God, Follow me. I know where I'm going. It's going to be great. And then you fall into a trap and break your leg. God, follow me. I know where I'm going. I've done this before. I'm a big boy. I put my pants on two legs at a time. And God's like, oh, really? Are you? You're so cute. Okay, let's see. Let's do it your way for a season. Right? (laughs) Over the cliff. You're sitting with your leg broke. Lions are like eating your flesh. Like, God, wh- then, then, then we have the audacity to be like, God, where are you? Isn't that what we do? God, talk about getting the cart ahead of the horse. God, come on, we can do this. God's like, you're so cute. But because I love you, let me save you some headache. Let me save you some time. Shoot, let me save you a little money too. You know what I'm saying? I can't tell you how many decisions I've made outside of God's timing that have cost me. Oh my gosh, you guys. But God, in his love and in his mercy, knows that we do a much better job being the sheep than being the shepherd. And if we'd be willing to trust and to follow, like little lambs, as we trust and look to our great shepherd, our creator God, right? Our rabbi Jesus, the one who says, I've got a plan for you, but I need you to follow me. And you're not going to know where you're going. That's why it's called adventures and following Jesus. Hebrews 11, later adding commentary upon what took place with Abram in Genesis 12 says this in verses 8 through 10 in the NIV. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
By faith, he made his home in the promised land. We spoke about it today. We sang about it today. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him of the same promise. For Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Isn't that astounding? This man from Ur, this Mesopotamian, grabbed a hold of this, this promise, and he obeyed God when he didn't even know where God was taking him. And so did his offspring and his kids. And it says they lived in tents, meaning they didn't even get the house, right? They didn't have the 401k. They didn't have the perfect job. They didn't have the benefits. They didn't have the health plan. They were in tents. I don't know about you guys, but living in a tent kind of sucks. I went camping with my kids, and it was stinky after like a day. And I'm like, kids, get out of here. You guys are smelly, gross little teenagers. Go take a shower and a bath. But could you imagine living that way for years? All because they were willing to trust God with the promise. God said, follow me. I'll take you to land that I'll show you. I'll bring you into a place. And I'll show you. But until then, you got to trust and you got to follow. Abraham Trusted and followed God, but so did his kids, meaning it didn't even happen for him in his lifetime. And we think we have a hard time waiting for the microwave to finish. <sighs> right? That's why we've got Keurig cups now. We can't even brew a cup of coffee. Which, by the way, how awesome was the coffee today? Come on. Nick from Logos Coffee Company is here today, and he blessed us with this amazing coffee. So we're so thankful. Nick, thank you so much. Isn't it better than Starbucks? Oh my gosh, a thousand times, yes. So we are excited for that. But it's hard because in our culture today, we don't even want to wait to brew a cup of coffee, right? But the valuable things that God has for your life, Jeff, Riley, Jan, Sophia, Grant, Jonathan, I'd call everybody's name here, we do a roll call. <laughs> the valuable thing that God has for your life is worth waiting for. That's for you today, Jeff. It's worth waiting for, bro. I speak that over your life today in Jesus' name. The valuable things that God has for your life are worth waiting for. Even though he didn't know where he was going, he obeyed and went. By faith, he camped out in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. For those of you that are not from Utah, you might feel like that right now. What is this place? What is going on? Who are these people? Why is everything so weird? Why does everyone say heck? <laughs> you might feel like a stranger. You're like, what? What are we doing here? And we're, we're intense and it smells and my kids are fighting and the noises are crazy. But we're looking forward. We're not looking behind. Notice this, verse 10. For Abraham was looking forward. Are you looking forward or are you looking backwards in your life? Are you looking at that great season that was? Oh, man, the good old days. Man, if, if, I, if coach would just put me in, we would have won state, right? I call it the Rico syndrome. Anybody remember the movie Napoleon Dynamite? How many of you guys love the character Uncle Rico? I love the character Uncle Rico. But Uncle Rico's problem is not that he's looking forward. Uncle Rico's problem is that he's looking back. He's out there. He's throwing the football in front of the, the video recorder, Man, if coach would have put me in, we would have won state. He's living in the past. He's looking backwards. The glory days, you know? 
the calling of God, as it was for Abraham, as it was for Jacob, as it was for his offspring and for us, is to look forward. We look forward to the city of God that's coming with foundations whose architect and builder is God, meaning that God alone is building it. That God alone has a plan and a timing and a purpose for your life with things associated or attached to it that only he is the builder of. And you know why that's good news? Because we're not the best builder of our own life. We just aren't. Even if you get educated and you get 600 degrees, you're still not going to be the best architect of your own life. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. And it says that he looked forward to that city, to that holy day, that time, whose foundations, whose, whose literal cornerstone was Jesus, and whose architect and builder is God. Church, are we looking forward or are we looking back? See, through this COVID time, I believe God has given us a great gift. And the gift is this. Which direction are you looking? Are you looking to hold on to the things that were? Or are you looking forward to the things that are to be? The things that are coming? I'll say this as your pastor. I am looking forward to the things that God has in store for us as Courageous Church. And in just a few moments, we're going to talk about what those things are. (laughs) Even though Abraham did not know where he's going. Church, let's get real. We don't always know where God is leading us, but we are called to trust and to follow him anyways. And that is the holy calling of God for every believer. It's to follow Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He also said, come follow me and deny yourself and pick up your cross. It means that there's an invitation to come and follow, but there's also an invitation to die. To die to self, right? I want to manage my life. I want what I want. I have my goals. I have my aspirations. I have that number that I want my bank account to reflect. <laughs> right? And we're, and we're holding on, and Jesus says, no, no, no. Let go of that. Life is not in that. Meaning is not in that. Fulfillment, purpose is not in that. You're going to hit that goal, and you're going to realize it was an empty goal. Jim Carrey, the actor and comedian, says this, and I've repeated this before. He says, I hope everyone gets everything they ever wanted. All the success, all the fame, all the cars, all the stuff. Because they'll finally realize that it's empty and not worth anything. Here's here's a guy who's a multimillionaire. Has it all, fame, glory, whatever you name it. And he's like, and those things are empty. See, if we'd open up our Bibles and and read them, we'd we'd learn that. Ecclesiastes says all that is like chasing the wind. It's like vanity. It's like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Worthless. But that's our lives. If we're not following Jesus. Because if and when we begin to follow Jesus, I'll tell you this. You are in for the ride of your life. The greatest roller coaster ride of your life. Dips, turns, ups, downs, upside downs, surprises around every corner. When I went to Lagoon last year with the kids, my father-in-law blessed us with passes, and so we took the kids a bunch. But there was always one ride that was always broken. It was the one that flips you upside down. You guys been on that one? So we finally got to go on it, and it scared the bejesus out of me. 
I thought I was going to fall out because at one point it stopped and it just held you suspended in air, right? And sometimes following Jesus is like that. He turns you upside down and just holds you there for a moment. And you're going, ah! God, don't forsake me. Jesus, what is going on? And he's like, I'm just holding you here for a moment because I want to deal with some stuff. (laughs) That's right. Shake out your pockets a little bit. So we don't always know where we're going, but I'll tell you this, following Jesus, the greatest decision you'll ever make. And guess what? The decision to follow Jesus isn't just a a done deal that the moment you say, Jesus, come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. It's a decision you have to make every day of your life, right? As adults, come on, we're still learning to follow Jesus. As parents, we're learning to follow Jesus. As people of God, we are learning to follow Jesus because things that he, that, that might've been a really hard thing for you to do here may not be so hard here, but guess what? There's, there's still something else that is. There's still an area of your life that he wants to have access to or command or have a say in that you might not be really will, willing to give or yield or surrender when you're five years old. But when you're 35 years old, he might ask for that. And so the adventure is in saying yes to Jesus, following him wherever he will go. We're following the leader, the leader, the leader. We're following the leader wherever he will go. There's a song we used to sing. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. And that's the call of God for every believer, for everybody that's in here today who calls upon the name of Jesus, who believes and trusts in Jesus. It's to go where he says to go and to move when he says to move and to follow him. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.